You're listening to the Vanilla Weeds podcast, co-hosted by three women from three continents. Mia Catherine Boyle from Seattle, United States, Dayu Dwirani from Jakarta, Indonesia, and Natalia Blagova from Zurich, Switzerland, originally from Sofia, Bulgaria. We met in the global community of changemakers and co-creators, women heart to heart. Our experiences there showed us that no matter how different we think we are, when we connect heart to heart, we experience our shared humanity and that special sense of oneness and common values. We've surprised ourselves with what we are capable of when we feel supported to be true to ourselves. We felt the unlimited possibilities that open up when we team up with like-minded yet diverse people and tap into our collective intelligence. Vanilla Weeds podcast will support fellow changemakers, men and women, of diverse expertise and origins. Together, we will deepen our awareness of the world we live in, developing the courage to speak truth to bullshit and to act driven by our highest aspirations. We will have conversations with each other and with special guests about everything that really matters to each one of us today and everything that supports us in mastering the art of living together. Listen to the Vanilla Weeds podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. Get in touch with us if you have topics that interest you or ideas about guests we should invite. Share with your network if something touches you. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are. We're here with our Vanilla Weeds podcast. Natalia Blagova, Mia Catherine Boyle, and Aaron Reese are here to discuss many things. Uh, we are here delighted to interview our friend and seeker, our spiritual teacher, author, intuitive, Aaron Reese, who uh, has written several books, one of which I got a chance to read. And we've had many discussions uh, in other venues and uh, decided that this would be a wonderful opportunity to have a conversation that would benefit everyone in the Vanilla Weeds community. So uh, we're here to talk with Aaron. Uh, specifically, I, I read Aaron's book, Truth Seeker, A Spiritual Adventure of Love, Loss, and Liberation. Um, being a student of philosophy and a seeker myself, I was really excited to read this book. And it didn't disappoint. So we're going to use that as a jumping off point and probably expand into other realms. So um, I want to just add that you can find Aaron Reese at Aaron Reese Substack. Um, and please do that. Uh, okay. So Aaron, Natalia, good day to you. And some of us are waking up and some of us have been awake for probably too long. So... <laughs> Yeah, it's in more ways than one. <laughs> Welcome everyone to, to our world. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's great to be here. Welcome, Erin. It's it's a real, real pleasure to have you uh with us on Vanilla Weeds. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Thank Likewise. you. It's a real honor. Honor. Honored to be here with both of you. Beautiful. Well, let's dive right in, Erin. I I did um, come up with a few questions just to sort of get us rolling. So I'm going to start with the first question. After reading Truth Seeker, um, which is sort of a a, a romp <laughs> through <laughs> India, you the 
book begins with you sort of, would it be fair to say having an existential crisis? Okay. And you were in your thirties, I'm gathering. Yes. At that time. At that time. And um, <laughs> that I, I asked that question because that makes sense to me. Cause I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm saying, okay, in my thirties, yes, I was totally in that space. <laughs> I wanted yeah. to find another world, a world where I felt like I belonged. And, you know, eventually we find out that that world doesn't really exist until we really just accept where we are. Hint, hint. But, um, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's really, uh, you know, I've never been to India and I've always wanted to go. I've taught yoga. I've done things of this nature. I've read, you know, a lot of, uh, Patanjali, et cetera. And so it was really nice for me to go to India with you in this book. So thank mm -hmm. you for that. I look forward to reading uh, the rest of the trilogy, Bindi Girl mm -hmm. 1 and 2. And so um, the foremost on my mind while reading this, I was thinking to myself, I was wondering to myself, um, were you hardwired for spiritual seeking or did you come to this uh, uh, later on in life with your existential crisis? Uh, did this sort of just find you or did you like sort of as a child, did you have these questions? Because I find that, that there are sort of two different camps in that, in that, uh, in, in that framing. People are either, they just woke up one day, you know, they, they were born sort of wanting to find something or it just sort of slowly creeped into them. Like, yeah, this isn't doing it. This isn't doing it. Okay. Where is it? Um, and I was sort of wondering where you were on that, on that uh that that lot that line of inquiry mm -hmm. that spectrum yeah spectrum thank you mm -hmm. yeah that's a really wonderful question and it's actually funny because it's actually one of the first questions that my spiritual teacher asked me when I first met him is how long has this been going on <laughs> an illness it is an illness um, it's suffering so really yeah. for me my main definitions ironically of um of seeking is suffering the suffering is the seeking or vice versa because it does put something outside of what is actually here right Right. right. So it just that's just a little funny thing that I thought of it, that that's the first question that you're asking me about is sort of when did this happen? Um, and I'll, I'd like to, to take the opportunity to answer it both ways about myself personally, but also what I, I feel in general around this. So for myself, I was born a spiritual person in the sense that I can remember the first time I remember being interested in spiritual topics per se was around the age of five. So I was already interested because in my personal case, and this isn't the case for everyone, but there was enough suffering going on in my life, in my childhood, that it was natural for me to want some relief. So the very first encounter I had with anything in that case, it was very countryfied rural Christianity that, that I came across by seeing a Bible somewhere, you know, it was like, oh, there's something going on. There are people talking about something outside of this situation here. So I was very young. And then the other aspect that I would say is each individual person 
has comes into the world with a set of genes and conditioning. And the conditioning is ever evolving, as we know. It's always up to date. And it's never separate from everything else that's going on in the life. Um, could so, I interject it? Of Sorry. Course. Um, so what you're saying is, are you talking about karma that we come in with? You could call it karma. Karma meaning action, whatever action is actually here. Karma it's, meaning things from past life. I don't really get into past lives too much, but if you were to look at time or a trajectory of time, you might consider it past lives, but it's more just the organism, the body, mind, soul organism that is here in present time, because we're always talking about what's here now, has a certain state of circumstances. And okay, that set of circumstances might inspire a seeking very in, interesting in you or me or anybody else and that seeking and then i'll i'll, I'll pause because i i can feel the next question the seeking is awakened in someone in an individual the seeking arises and one of the most important points that i would say is that no one has ever had any control over whether that seeking starts it happens it's a happening based on an infinite number of causes and effects. And the other funny part, which I'm sure we'll get to later is whether the seeking begins has never been in anyone's individual control and whether the seeking ends has never been in anyone's control. I actually have a question here. So it's very interesting what you're saying. Does it also mean that we can, that the seeking always starts from suffering and only from suffering? Can no. it No? And, and can it be provoked by other people somehow? Or is it a process that only depends on the individual's lives and circumstances? Absolutely. It can be provoked from anyone in the family and the culture that the one that the person is born into or religion, any circumstances, an eagle flying overhead. Right. Mm -hmm. But then whether the person has been suffering or not, that, that makes no difference. It's a happening in, in, in present time and time and space. Right. But then the seeking Mia wrote to me about this hero's journey or the quest. The seeking itself is a separation because I am here and there is something out there. Right. So that's, that's what I mean by suffering. Because in the seeking, you're assuming that you are not found. Correct. And that is a, that is a misperception. Correct. Because we're here. We are. You are never not, you are never not here. And we're never not found. We're found, but who is, who is doing the finding? There's nothing to find because it already exists. It's more to realize that that's quote unquote awakening is the realization that all is everything already exists. There's nothing outside of this. 
and that's very difficult for at least the western mind to really capture because we're really taught a certain um paradigm of time and uh the way things progress um and values even our values are reflected by that and contained by it so that's a really interesting thing to say <laughs> so time <clears throat> time and the appearance of the story of our lives and values and all of these things which are totally important and things that you and i and natalia work with all of the time no pun intended they are part of the functioning of the daily life. Yeah. So they are also part of it. So that's the paradox of non-duality yes, duality. Life right. is lived. Life is lived in duality. Yes. So I would like to, you know, allow our audience to understand this too, that you are a practicer of Advaita, right? I would say I'm a, I'm a, a, yes, I would, you could say a practitioner or that is, that is the orientation uh -huh, okay. that I'm coming and, from. And can you just describe that for a moment? Mm -hmm. Sure. So the word Advaita, which is known as non-duality is, means not to. The, so the prefix a is without, dvait means to. So Basically, it means, in general, one without a second. Mm. Right. So there is it's only similar one. to saying not this, not that, right? Correct. It's, exactly. Okay. Neti, yeah. neti. That's what you say in the Sanskrit. Anything that can be identified is only partial. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> this is tough for the Western mind. Oh, wait, you know, I need a definition, but, but really. What right. It's okay. Yeah, I think no, if we no. go back to the story of some of the questions that you brought up, it will be good. I just couldn't help myself, but actually bringing in some of the um, the specific specificity of of the situation regarding oh, yeah. this. How does the seeking arise, and what is seeking? You know, those and are I'm, really important. I'm glad you are because this it can't be contained in in the way that we. I, I wasn't intending to make it so hierarchical with questions, but they're and helpful. I'm not really, I'm intrigued by already by, uh, you know, your definition of time or your your orientation towards time because that is um, something I've grappled with as a student of philosophy. Like you know, I I, I remember reading in um, a. A hundred years of solitude, I think it was. He said, "Everything happens at once," and I, I just read that, and and it just exploded in my brain. Like I just intuitively knew it was true, but I didn't understand it at all. Can That's, we talk about that a little bit? Sure. Yes. <laughs> I mean, just a little. now we're really now we're really dropping in. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in terms of fleshing that out, it's always best, in my opinion, not to use the, um, get too involved in language, but rather to have the direct experience of that it is always now. There's nowhere to go. 
and there's nothing to do. It's always here. Everything is here, here, here. One of the ways that I can kind of explain it is almost like staccato, like it's, it's always vertical here, here, here. And as soon as the mind strays, the, I, the, the thought, right? It's a thought that arises of past. It's a thought that arises of future. Guess what? That's a thought. If I didn't say that loud enough, that's a thought. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's you mean just a thought. I would say you could say just a thought. I mean, it's a thought. Well, in my mind, as you were saying that, um, well, I'm a musician. So to me, you were just, you know, you were counting time. Um, and Frank Zappa famously said, uh, music is decorated time. And so in my mind, I really, that's a, a really deep thing because if we look at music in the, in the context of what you're saying, describing time as, you can see music as like really playing with the form of the present in the sense that it's, it's saying, here's a version, here's another version, here's another version in every moment, right? And in its very fun way of describing time. Oh my gosh, I love that. Yeah, I I hope that made sense to everybody because I, uh, but it makes sense to me. Yeah, good, good, good. Well, thank you for for going there and such a um. That was such a a, a wonderful and and very whole little nugget of of deepness. <laughs> One of the other mentions that I'll put in terms of that and the idea of the memory, memory being in time or uh, a construct of the future. So where is that memory occurring? Right. Where is that memory occurring? Now. So the memory. It is or always the now. Okay. You mean the, the memory, memory is here. Or the accessing of the memory. Pardon? Do you mean the memory itself or the accessing of the memory? The memory itself. Oh. Is here, isn't it? Aren't isn't the memory existing now? Yeah, because the memory is also a thought. It's not actually you can say it's not what happened actually, it's what we're thinking and remembering right. it's happening. Or feeling. But it's happening. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Mm -hmm. It's an arising, it's a phenomenon that appears to have a duration in time and space. But again, we come back to that staccato. It's here, it's here, it's here. It's the ever unfolding now. Beautiful. And in that unfolding now, which is that decorated time. I love that we brought Mr. Zappa in. <laughs> so fantastic, right? It's now, there's the whole picture. It's the whole beat. It's the whole beat. It's the whole chord. It's the whole chord. It's always here. And that what happens in seatedness in the self or the source existence, which is not seeking because there's nothing outside of this, there is a relaxation into that presence, into yes. that present time. Yes. Mm -hmm. I feel that and right now. Other, yeah. I, 
Yes. And I'll just say, just because we're in it, we're so in it right now. Like we're not <laughs> sorry for the, sorry for the new kids that are listening to this, but here we are. <laughs> well, we got totally in the deep end. <laughs> we, are, I hope we are in the weeds, people. <laughs> in the weeds. And they are far from vanilla. <laughs> okay. One last little bit that'll just be for, for, for Mia here for fun. So is, is it presence? Is it presence in the self? Is it I am present as the self, as in the self? Or is it the absence of the absence of presence? It's a double negative. Because what happens is if you put a presence, then there is a somethingness that is here, right? But if you add the double negative, there is nothing that could be missing. So I just wanted to put that out there as a little seed. It's actually the absence of the absence of presence, which is total fulfillment. Mm, interesting. Wow. Because if I say it's presence, then you automatically have the opposite of the absence, right? Right. If right. I say be present, then you have the existence somewhere in time and space or oh, yeah. con concept of absence. So the actual pointer is the absence of the absence of presence. So that's enough on touching upon it, but I, for, for, for the sake of our listeners, I, I want to expand on that. Because obviously you gave us, like we briefly spoke spoke of the beginning and we, we can see where it always took you, right? So, so we, we can hear the, the, the total philosophy or wisdom that's guiding you right now. But I'm wondering... For somebody who's totally not, I mean, like, is totally in, in, in the traditional way we experience in lifetime and everything, why should they embark on a journey like that? Don't. What, and and <laughs> my question is, what has it given you? And what maybe is making your life difficult? Okay. I wouldn't ever recommend this. <laughs> okay. Who would this appeal to? And I'd like to go back to some, I think some of the questions that Mia has prepared are really good and grounding in this. We've kind yeah. of come, we're coming from top down into, you know, normal human existence here. Okay. But what I would say is why would anyone strive to have this understanding? because it's a form of a tractor beam that's pulling someone it's sort of like the person cannot get away from it because their mind is driving them absolutely into total existential suffering because the person who has tried everything and this is kind of where we can get into juicy story bits is like someone who this was my case someone who has done everything to come out of existential suffering therapy constellation work recovery spirituality yoga meditation you know any of that again and again and again and has really tried everything and including being a good person making a lot of money everybody every everything you've done and you, you know that it's not getting it the, there's a part of the self or the, the the heart, the spiritual heart that says, I want the end game. I want off of the wheel. I want off of the trying. That's the point. 
I'm tired of trying. Every time I try, there's an, it's what I, what I ascribe it to is, I don't know if they have this in Europe, Natalia, uh, but there's, there's a game at the um, amusement park. That's like a, a little animal. We call it whack-a-mole. And the thing pops up out yes, of this little hole and you keep hitting it. Yes. Yes. And so then what happens is you hit it, you get it down, and then another one pops up. And then another one pops up. And that's the point of neti neti. If it's not this, it's not that. That's not the answer. That's not the answer. That's not the answer. And there is something good about the striving for the person. There might be some relief of, of suffering or pain, which there is a difference. But for some folks... They will not rest until they the whole thing dissolves and goes up in smoke. And you mentioned two words. You you mentioned two words while you were talking before, but which were around fulfillment, and I I I added from myself joy also. I don't think we can fully experience joy and fulfillment unless we get out of this red race. Well, that brings me to the second question, mm -hmm. because, yeah, let's move on to the questions, because I think we are moving in parallel with that. Can you talk about the role of the ego? Is it necessary distortion, or is this just the hero's journey we all must take? And that's sort of what you're talking about, right? You mean in terms of the seeking? Yes, because... because there's that dissatisfaction that comes with being attached to who you are right mm -hmm. and it, i guess what's implicit in that question is are we bound is the is it the ego that keeps us bound to this wheel of suffering and is it perhaps the necessity of giving up the identity of the self that mm -hmm. creates freedom that you're talking about mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well let's start with one of the first things you mentioned there which is is it the ego that is creating this suffering so i don't want to sound obtuse but it's not the ego that's creating any of this it's actually consciousness itself and what i mean by definition of consciousness is this ocean of existence of, that includes everything Okay, so let's then look at, there's an ocean, a vast ocean of existence. This is everything. everything and that's a, that's a collective state, is it not? Collective, but not just, of course, planet Earth. It's the entirety of the whole entire of the whole entire of the whole entire. This is mm -hmm. the ocean of consciousness. Okay, okay. of existence. I want to point out that Please. when you talk about the ocean of consciousness in that context that includes everything beyond the earth and this universe i i in my world of studying philosophy for eons and reading eons of books about this and that and the other that concept has never been addressed okay well well, well i i don't know if i can address it i will i will use it as as a descriptor well, all I'm saying is you don't have to address it. The fact that you even just brought it up is very oh. significant. Well, I mean, if we really rest in the ocean of existence of consciousness as, as a quote unquote concept or a descriptor, you and I will just start crying. 
and there was, there's nothing left. So it will feel it, you, there's a knowingness there. So I, I yeah, and I, I'm sorry to keep interrupting you, but I just want to point this out because right okay. now in human existence in um in our world, there's a there's a, a lot of discussion about ETs and about other planets and about space. And we're trying we're starting to think about the cosmos in, in a way that is more accessible than ever before. And I think what you're saying is it is really important in that way because you're actually saying that consciousness isn't just a collective of human humanity it's a collective of beings beyond this planet i just want to point that out beings and beingnesses and being and yes the whole thing it's so vast so why be so concerned about one little minutia Speaking of minutia, if we follow this concept or this construct of this ocean of existence, which I call consciousness, some call source, some call self with a capital S, let's just call it the ocean of existence or consciousness. So the ego is a drop of water in that ocean. Just one little tiny drop, tiny little drop of water in this ocean of existence that confuses itself as the separate doer. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, what you're saying by confusing is, is that um, it's we- It's under the illusion, it's under the delusion that it is separate from the ocean. And that it is also a separate doer. It has a separate volition. It I has would go the far as to say that it, it also confuses itself as all that there is for the individual. Like it's it's the individual. It is the me. Individual. The me. Right. Yes. Okay. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. That's right. And you're saying that's fundamentally completely false. Uh, well, it's actually false, and, and and it's also perfectly okay from the point of view of the totality. It's it's a part of the happening of totality. And and as it as people point out, it or as as spiritual teachers have had point out, the ego is necessary to exist in this duality on, in this physical plane. So I feel the identification, like yes, but the identification with it is not necessary. Ah, nice. Okay. That's very interesting distinction. Could you elaborate? I understand you, but could you elaborate a little more? Because I think this is very critical in terms of the average person that struggles with due yes. to that. Mm -hmm. Sure. So I'm hope hopefully I'll answer your your um your question with. Uh, Natalia, can you can you answer ask the question a little more specifically for me? Okay, so 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 you were talking about the individual drop in this ocean, mm -hmm. which uh, okay, I'm not going to be able to. It confuses this, itself. The drop of water is is a is a part of consciousness, correct? Yes, this and it thinks that it's separate. Correct. 
and it's and it, things that does things outside of the ocean, like like that it controls the ocean. Recognize. It controls parts of the ocean at least, Correct. and that it doesn't recognize the influence of the waves, right? Which is something okay. actually we do work with you in constellations. It's actually in constellations we kind of have a little. We go a little bit into the ocean to see relationship with other elements, right? Again, it's Absolutely. a very small zoom in in a specific small place in the ocean. But we, by doing that, we recognize the forces that we are, uh, that are influencing us, leading us, and we recognize how we're part of it, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it, but at the same time, I think this is very difficult for, for, I think for all of us actually, when we go back to actual real life, right? Because we're taught to uh, to have objectives, that things depend on us, uh, that uh, mm -hmm. so, so, so we basically, the whole life is constructed about the idea that things depend on us. And we have responsibility, obligations, and uh, basically, it's all about doing. Correct. So that's a that's a, that's exactly where I was thinking that you were going with this. Is there's an there's an illusion that there is a separate doer. That I, the I, the me, the ego, the identified self, this me, is the doer. I am the one. I am the one that must do this. I am the one that must make something happen. Yeah, well, guess what? It was already happening. The ocean is already going in that direction. So the end of the identification with that is the relief and the understanding that it was never separate from what was already moving. And even, and I hope I don't go too far with this, the arising of the arising of volition let's say this person this body mind has the volition to pick up the pen right where did that come from that volition arose out of the ocean of existence also i didn't create it who created it it had to be it had to be a combination of an infinite number of causes and effects occurring simultaneously for this one thing to occur. So the complete and total understanding and acceptance and the experiencing, the embodied understanding that I am not the doer, that this me self is not a separate doer. That is what I would call the dissolving of the identification with the ego the dissolving of the identification with the ego. But I don't think we need to go so far into the semantics of it. It's more of the, the understanding, the relief that one sees that all is ocean of which this me self is, is a thought, it's a part of it. And if you wanna look at time and space, it has a duration in time and space. In the story of existence, there is a certain amount of time on the planet that this person is identified as this me. 
And in some body mind, I call it body mind organisms. It's very um, kind of rude to call a person that, but it's a way to show the appearance of this form, right? Instead of making it super special. But in some persons, in some body, mind, spirit organisms, this dissolving of the identification occurs before death, before physical death. And that is a that is a relaxation. That is an absolute relaxation. And what I would call a form of awakening. And the daily life continues. And that's something else here. Right. I think one of Mia's pre questions to me is like, what's different? How does one function? Like, what, what does that mean for daily living? The daily life continues. The development of the human continues. The only thing that's different is that there's no suffering. And we do see some common phenomena occur in individuals where there, this is there is this dissolving. That's part of the story and the, the pleasant pointers. But they're not always 100 percent true. So you, I would never prescribe these things. Just like prescribing practices is, is a tricky thing. Mm -hmm. That's implying that there's some form of a trajectory. And guess what? Mia will like this with her philosophy. That will imply a practice. You know, it will, it will imply a trajectory. It will imply a practice. And there was something else that I was going to say. Now I completely lost my train of thought. So I'm going to pause. <laughs> Well, it will imply um, a controlling of the- internal. That's right. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Thank you. So yeah, I, I feel like everything you're describing is uh, uh, what we're up against right now in, um, well, I keep, boy, I have to be careful about how I word this because it's very difficult to put into language as you know so well. Um, but what's happening right now from my perspective in the world is that when I'm, I'm, I'm really tempted to say you're talking about a Western mindset, but as I'm thinking about this mindset, I'm seeing that it's actually all over the world. It's in the East as well. Now this mindset of ego identification, um, personal identity and responsibility to make things happen and control things and, do this to get that and get that to do that. And, and all of that is counter to actually an indigenous way of being, which um, historically has been, um, there's been an attempt to root out that paradigm, that indigenous way of being around the world. Um, a lot of people might not actually know that, but if you go into history and you look at what has been happening globally to indigenous communities around the world they have been experiencing genocides and attacks um every single one of them that's a very interesting thing to know and aside mm -hmm. from politics what that says is that there there's a there's a con a conflict of paradigms going on right and the western paradigm i'm just going to call it the western paradigm even though it's, it's a global thing now is such a psychotic state of being because it it's stuck in this identity of me 
And um, it's some, you know, there's a reason why narcissism is a big word these days. Everybody knows what that word means. We use it a lot. Why? Because it keeps coming up. And, mm -hmm. and that it's, it's the illness du jour in a way, you know? Um, and w when, when you're talking about identifying with the ego and not identifying with the ego, the not identifying with it or the not, not identifying with it, as you say, seems to be more something in line with nature, in tune with nature, such that you don't have to think about what you're doing. You just agree to be a part of it. Is that accurate? I, I like what you, okay. Yeah, you agree to be a part of it. Can you say more of that about that? Well, instead of trying to control, mm -hmm. step into the rhythm. That's all mm, rhythm. I love that. Yeah, because it's constant and it's going. It's a little it's, bit more fun to be in rhythm, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, that's why the surfers I know just love surfing because their mind stops. Correct. Why the musicians yeah. play, their mind stops. Love so good. Yes. This is such a beautiful, beautiful uh, um, point you're making because. I seem in this whole conversation to be thinking from the point of view of uh, I call it ordinary people, but it's actually all of us. So, so why is this important? Because it sounds complicated when you when you look at it from the perspective of traditional way of the Western way of looking at things. But but you're getting at the I think you're giving answers to why is it important in terms of how your life will change. And I like what you said that suffering ends ultimately. I mean, if you go like uh, fully aligned with the rhythm, right? Then suffering mm -hmm. will disappear. So I think this is a nice objective that people can relate to. Uh, yes. Because we all had, I think, a lot of suffering. I, I don't think there's a human being here that cannot relate to it. And I think this suffering seems to be going more and more. And it, like, if you look at the way the, the, the world is going now, it seems that suffering is going up, not down. I mean, we, we don't <laughs> seem, in, in the way we live, we don't seem to eliminate suffering. We, we seem to increase it, if anything. So I think this is a really nice objective that one can put to, to themselves. To, like the end of suffering, right? The, or mm -hmm. the end. It, it cannot be fully removed. I, I don't think so, but uh, it can be substantially reduced to and mm -hmm. to allow us to live in rhythm with joy, right? So, so, so yes. would you say this is a good um, motivational? Um, yes, it's a carrot of, at the end of the stick that shows that there is no carrot. <laughs> I like this. And what I mean by that, too, is that I love the musical analogies. I'm a huge music head myself. Um, so, but what I want to say, too, the joy that you're speaking of, or the pure, uh, 
what did you say you agreed Mia I like that that was a nice term the agreement but I also like allowing and one of the words that I use I don't use the word love very often because uh, I believe that that word has like been completely distorted in so many ways so I'm very careful when I use certain words so, but love for me, one way of looking at it would be allowing complete and total allowing and complete and total acceptance. Mm -hmm. So the rhythm of, of, of the allowing of being in the rhythm of whatever is occurring, I also want to say, and this is where there is no carrot, is that there is also joy and allowing and acceptance, even when it is a discordant time. And even when it is not in rhythm. My thought that's the best that I can offer. That's the best that I can give this space. That's why I'm speaking. I think it's pretty damn good because it, it uh, to me, it implies that it is possible to um, step outside of suffering. And maybe mm -hmm. that's my, I've that's always been this, but yeah, I feel like it's possible to step outside of suffering just using a, if you understand that, and I, I'm not awake, okay? I just want to say that. So sometimes when I'm speaking, I'm not trying to say that I know these things. I'm just throwing ideas out as if I did know them so that we can look at them that way. Does that make sense? Anyway. Um, perfect sense. Okay. Uh, what I'm seeing, though, is that the escape of suffering is possible if we surrender to the natural rhythm that's all around us and this is what i see in indigenous culture that i've i've looked at that there's a, an abiding by um a i'm just gonna say organization that's much and by that i, I just mean that how things operate and and work they work all around you you know, the rain falls, the seed sprouts, the water, the rivers flow. These things happen without us being involved. And yet we can be involved by, by observing them and understanding that there's got to be an intelligence in that. And that's just me throwing that in because I believe that. Um, yeah, yeah. And I like <clears throat> so many things. The words that you're using are really wonderful. I love the word abiding. We abide. The dude abides. Right. We abide. We abide. There is yeah. abiding. No matter what. And it's unconditional. And that's not egoic language, I don't think. Mm -hmm. And the it's other thing that you mentioned was involvement. So for example, in the functioning of the daily living, even if there is this no longer this identification with the separation or the me thought, the me, the ego, there's still the functioning. And there is this re rest or relaxation, like sort of like the ocean under the iceberg. There's a rest under that. There's a knowing that one is ocean. Mm -hmm. And still personality, still happening, right? Still existing. And there may even be some involvement. I might even be involved in constellations or politics or relationship happenings, things like this. The only thing that I can offer with this is 
perhaps there is no involvement with the involvement. There's no, there's a, there, you called it the witnessing or a little bit of non-attachment. Or there's, there's, there's nothing to be attached to. Mm -hmm. No involvement with the involvement maybe, maybe implies no control. That's an absolute understanding that there is absolutely no control. Okay. That, so that is it fair to there, say that we, we got into all this trouble by trying to control things? I wouldn't uh, know. Maybe you, maybe you have something to say about that. Yes. Yeah, I'm wondering why... I don't know. I'm actually... I, I, I'm not sure here, so I'm just going to speak as it comes so, so on one side i have the feeling that some of the suffering is meaningful uh i in the sense not the suffering itself but i i think it drives us to move forward to learn new things to 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 move beyond limitations i don't know it's it's a driver of good things on one side i think it becomes a trouble when when we get stuck in certain specific suffering. So so in other words, we, we, when it becomes repetitive and we can get out of it, but that's one side of the story. Uh, on the other side, and, and actually pe some people say that we're here on earth to both feel, to actually experience certain things so that we grow. I don't know whether you, you agree with that concept. Uh, so, so in other words, if we're completely in that space which we're describing, are you serving the purpose he, you, you're here for on earth? It, it's like, is there something we're supposed to do in this 2D reality or however we call it? So that's one side of my question. The other side of what I started talking about was so we're, we're like indigenous people, we're saying we're much more connected to the rhythm of life and they're in a really much, uh, we're, we're learning a lot of things from them now in terms of healing, in terms of healthy eating, healthy moving. We keep studying them because we've lost connection to a lot of things. And my question was, did we lose the connection because we kept, pushing for more and more control. I'm talking here, humanity in general, because we wanted to, huh. to, 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 to increase control, increase control, increase control. And, and we kind of went too far from our actually- um, Yeah, well, you Let's know, it like we can, if we look at the overarching ego as a collective ego, wouldn't that absolutely answer that question? Of course, because the more that one is into the delusion of separate control, there is more suffering and separation, right? And so therefore there is more and more loss of connection to source. And to I keep thinking about mm -hmm, addiction. I, I think about addiction. That's the description, your description, Natalia, is one of that addiction and and you know um greed and um neurosis um 
addiction is totally a result of separation. I mean, totally, it's different levels of separation that push us to addiction, basically. We don't need to go into all the details of that, but uh, I definitely feel the foundation is, is, is there. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so any bit of relief here can be relieving. Any bit of relief can relieve, whether it's an addict or a country or a war or a lack of sustainable agriculture, whatever it might be. There are, there are different degrees of relief and reconnection to source. So that in your, you know, one of the things that you keep pointing to is why would anybody listen to any of this nonsense? Well, these are some good reasons. Mm -hmm. And the part of the sort of the, the simplicity and what seems complex of what I'm saying is that it can be total. It can be a complete relaxation back into source. And what you're talking about is the individual human beings or groups of people and how can they experience degrees of relief from suffering. And there is a difference here between pain and suffering very clearly. So the end of suffering, which to me is more of an existential suffering and gnashing of the teeth, a sort of just a completely wrapped around the axle about existence, you know, that, that dark night of the soul is really yes. what it is. That's the end game that I'm talking about. But the pain of life continues. The person has a certain amount of pain and a person has a certain amount of pleasure. And there are preferences that might arise. It's like, I prefer not to be in pain. I prefer not to have, I prefer to have that pleasure. But that's not, that's not nearly a problem compared to suffering. That's a good distinction to make. Because it also... Yeah. It also says, you know, sure, we can, we can be uncomfortable in our lives. That's not necessarily a problem, is it? I mean, we there don't have no to be all full of pleasure all the time, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and people really, really say that and acknowledge that. So I think that's a really important distinction to make right now. So that's timely. Thank you. Mm -hmm. and, and also, I think this is a good time to go on to the third question I had which is about vichara. Mm -hmm. Isn't that right? Yes. Okay. Can you elaborate on vichara? What does it feel like to be fully conscious? Do you still have an unconscious? You personally. <laughs> oh. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, let's see if we can break the down the question. So the definition of vichara in Sanskrit is inquiry. Okay. okay. <laughs> So it is a practice for those who feel that they must have a practice to come to the realization that they are not the doer of any practice. So again, we're talking about paradox. And resting in the paradox is a really great thing to do because it's right there, you're, you're relinquishing control. When you allow your mind to rest in a paradox, it's, it's actually a very powerful state of being. I'm just going to say that. So can you restate what you just said? Sure. So the word vichara is Sanskrit and it means inquiry or investigation. And it is sometimes considered a practice, a practice given to those 
who have still not come to the understanding and the realization that they are not the separate doer of any action. So those who feel that they must continue to take action may undertake this practice. Okay, and what does the so that's a starting point? That's a starting yeah. point. So what I wrote about in Truth Seeker was the vichara given by a sage named Ramana Maharshi, who is one of the affiliated sages with Advaita Vedanta non-duality. The self is all. There's nothing outside of the self. Okay, in South India, in Tamil Nadu, Southeast India by what used to be called Madras. I really like that name, but it's now Chennai. Um, so the inquiry practice that he, uh, some people say that this is historically accurate. Some say it is not, but in terms of the sort of the legend, he would give the inquiry or the vichara of who am I? Who am I? Who am I? And keep looking and keep looking, not as a descriptor of I'm a wife, I'm a mother, I'm an artist, you know, but actually to investigate and to look. And what eventually happens with this deep looking for the I, the capital I, the I, the me, is that sort of many cases, it is seen, it's sort of like a hall of mirrors. It is endless. There is nothing, there is no end. There's no identification. There's no one eye. There's no singular eye. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, sure does. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds so, me. Oh, well, very. Please go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that it, that description reminds me of Eckhart Tolle's description of pain, where you, you try to find the center of the pain. It's not mm -hmm. possible. Correct. Fascinating. Totally. So even right now, I could I could ask both of you, Natalia and Mia, to look. And it's not looking outside, right? It's looking. Look inside. Look, look. Find the me. Find it. Let me know when you find it. <laughs> I'm deeply sincere about that. Yeah. Deeply sincere about that. And so there is the understanding that there is no central operating mechanism. I'm inhabiting personally a strange state of being when you ask me that because intellectually I understand, I think I, I think I understand what you're saying. And as an intellect, I understand there's no me. The problem for me is that I don't, do I really feel it? Do I really embody it? apparently not so i just that's why i asked you to have the direct experience of it at this moment not the thought about it not the idea of the practice but actually okay. to 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 do the practice for let's just just let's just take a second okay and not ask the question of who am i my my question that really works for me is where are you where is where is the locus where is mia where is this me can you find it? I can't find it and it feels it feels quite nice, really. Because you're here and we're all talking about this, I feel protected by these understandings. Beautiful. To 
just feel that. Thank you for thank you for um, giving us the opportunity to do that together. I don't I don't take it lightly. But thank you for bringing that to us. What a gift. And I hope yeah. our audience is taking advantage of that too, because. I think it's a gift and the courage yeah. because in today's world to come with this, um, to be fully exposed with all this, I don't know how to call them, it's not beliefs, but this philosophy of living, maybe, um, it's not easy. It's not easy. And, uh, you need you need courage, but at the same time, the world so much needs this courageousness in <laughs> these people. And, and I'm happy I'm seeing more and more people, different versions, different stories, but more and more people coming forward. And... Um, I'm happy to, I mean, this conversation 20 years ago wouldn't be possible, I think, or or at least would not be recorded and made public. <laughs> not 20, but maybe a little more than 20, but even 20, yeah. So I think there's something happening in the world that's making this conversation also possible, and it's making less absurd your question and what you're asking us to do and what we did and what we found or didn't found. It's less. Uh, it's more acceptable somehow. I, I feel it. It's 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 here. It's it's uh, the, the, the willingness times we live. Yeah, are allowing for that these new answers to start coming, and and I think it's very precious, Erin, that you are bringing this and asking these questions and saying the things you're saying. Uh, for me, at least, the, the real value is, uh, I mean, there's a lot of value in many ways, but one thing that I just realized is the, the beauty of the fact that they don't sound as absurd as I would think that they would sound. Does it make sense what I'm saying? I think some of the things we're speaking would have been completely unacceptable. Um, and, and I like the fact that they're not now. And, and I'm saying it both on a personal level, but also on more broader uh, level of including our audience and beyond. That's the uh, intellectual defense, right? Um, the woo-woo, right? Just the ability to write off these things that don't make sense to the ego. But I'm we've been doing it for a long time through science, through like like for saying everything that we cannot prove is not true. I mean, we've been saying this for the last hundred years, but but life has brought us to this stage where all of a sudden we we don't need that, or we are seeking. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if the word seeking is right, but what what I'm I'm actually experiencing that things are changing. This is what what I'm trying to communicate actually. Well, 
I believe it was Eckhart Tolle and many, many, many sages that have said that this is the role of suffering. That the role of suffering is to bring one to awakening. So if there's great suffering, some people consider suffering a gift. Hmm. Believe it or not. It's a curse and a gift. So it is that moment of evolution of consciousness that it does appear that there is more receptivity to the relief of suffering, right? It does seem to be that there is more openness to that at this moment in time and space when we have access to tools like Zoom, we have airplanes that bring people to different countries that bring me into contact with these maps and grids of, of consciousness from India, you know, to reconnect us to the what you would call Natalia, I think is the true self, is the true essential self. That's really what we're talking about here. It's to dumb this whole thing down or to simplify it. What we're doing is we're getting in touch with true nature, which is what Mia was pointing to with the indigenous ones or with nature itself or a bird flying or a deer in the yard. You know, it is not having an anticipation. It's having a complete and total instinct and awareness of what is needed in the now. And a squirrel knows intuitively it's time to gather nuts. It's time to gather nuts or one of the things that I've been teaching for several years, and especially during the pandemic when there was so much fear, and there is so much fear now, is a very simple question. You will always know exactly what to do in the moment. Yeah. You will always know exactly what to do in the moment. That's a really beautiful thing to share and to say in that way because i think that's a birthright we have as human beings we we do have that innate ability to know what to do even i would say we we know what to say in every moment if we just let ourselves tap into that um it's very powerful and we all have it we have that we already have that mm -hmm. uh, right exactly uh, mm -hmm. So, so if we stay at the edge of the knife or the tip of the pen, as I like to say, or say the edge of the knife, if you imagine a sword and on one side of the sword, this razor's edge is this idea of the past and then this idea of the future. And, and if any wobble is going on there, you're not fully in the now. So you're further away from knowing exactly what to do in present time. So that's why that razor's edge just gets narrower and narrower and narrower and narrower. So there is no need to worry or face guilt or shame, guilt and shame around the past. There is this understanding that it is all unfolding perfectly in present time. And any volition of action, and this kind of goes back to what you were mentioning, Natalia, about purposefulness, which is a really great topic about like, well, what do you do with all of this? You know, how does one live their life? And what I would answer to that is you will do exactly what is needed. You will do exactly what you are uniquely meant to do in the moment. So there's no reason to worry about fulfillment of purpose. Purposefulness, I like to use the word purposefulness, 
because purpose feels to me like it has loaded these days with this idea of somehow I'm supposed to obtain my purpose or, you know, get somewhere. So I like to live in purposefulness. That's just my little semantics there. It's just a better pointer for me. But there's no need to worry about not fulfilling one's purpose. I mean, in the storyline, we could say that this person had a tragedy and they didn't fulfill what they were meant to do, right? But the fact is, is that it was always meant to happen exactly as it existed. And so if purposefulness, and I'll I'll be quiet after I say this, is such that there is the 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 helping, the the idea of assisting or teaching or guiding or practicing. That is something that is arising in you as an individual appearance out of that ocean to do that work. That is your purposefulness. Your purpose is exactly what is happening right now. You are never not fulfilling your purpose. I have a May I, <laughs> I would like to just say that that this all sounds so beautiful and clean in the way that it rolls out. But then I'm thinking about how humans so often get stuck by through worry and guilt and shame, as you pointed out. And those things lead to often addiction um, and other sorted things. And, and what do we say to that? Are you saying you don't need to go down that road of worry, guilt, and shame? You, you know, you just have courage and faith in your own ability to handle the, the thing that the issue at hand and, your nature will provide the correct response? Uh, yes, ideally, that is the perfect, most pure description, what you just said. That is actually the reality that's available here, is that perfect, pure response. That now, takes a lot of courage. We, I, I love that word. Perhaps it does take courage, perhaps. Uh, I'd like to go back to what you mentioned about worry and guilt and shame. If those things arise, they are also necessary, aren't they? Because everything is necessary that occurs. Everything is necessary that occurs. It all exists in that decorated moment. So it can't not be necessary. So worry arises in some people as well as guilt and shame. For those folks that are ready to be done with it, to truly understand that it could never have been otherwise. It was always perfect the way that it was. And even the awakening up out of that sort of blame, we'll call it blame, this idea that you as an individual were responsible I think you can both relate to that part, no? That 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 this that the suffering coming back to this idea of I am individually responsible as a me, right? That we understand that it is totality functioning. So when it is seen that the totality is functioning, that it could never be otherwise than it is, then there is a relief of shame and blame. And the trust, eventually, in the beginning, there might be trust in the beginning, but at a certain point, there, there isn't even the word for trust. There's, there's nothing separate to trust. There is oneness. There is an understanding that I am 
part of I am existence itself. So what is there to be trusting? Everything is trustworthy. So I hope that answers your question, Mia. It, it's like um, the amount of worry and guilt and shame that occurs is part of an individual story process. And well, there is the possibility of relief. It's It's beautiful what you're saying and also... I feel like what's implicit in what you're saying is, is that we can actually trust the hot mess that we're in right now. <laughs> I, I, 100%. I mean, I have no, no, nothing to recoil from in what you've just said. Absolutely not. Okay. In fact, you are the hot mess. I am the hot mess. Natalia is the hot mess. We are yeah. not separate from the hot no. mess. Mm-mm. I'll take that. <laughs> I think you answered the question that I I'll wanted take it. <laughs> to ask, but uh, I'm still gonna briefly bring it for the sake of I feel listeners. Um, so you were saying um, we were talking about purpose, okay? And you brought the concept of purposefulness and. Uh, I was thinking of all this. I mean, lately it's a huge fashion the last years to talk about purpose, to find your purpose. I mean, it it never has been to that level in the world as it is now. Uh, and we also tend to. So sometimes it feels so. We said that a person always. But the purpose is there and knowing what the right thing to do is there and there's nothing to worry, it's there. Nevertheless, sometimes looking at people and looking at ourselves, sometimes we have the feeling that people are stuck in certain circumstances and this couldn't be their purpose. I mean, they're doing things that don't seem to be full expression of their self. But are oh, you saying, why is that not their purpose? But, but, but that's what I'm asking. So so even when it seems that they are not on the journey, they are actually on the journey. Is that correct? Okay. I just wanted to. Oh, beautiful. And think about that with regard to constellations. There's a seeing. The witnessing of the unfolding. Perfect as it was, as it is. And with that gives great relief. Exactly. And I think this is one of the contributions of constellations is allowing us to see what is uh, and kind of calms us down in terms of what we need to do. Or what, <laughs> I mean, all this, Beautiful. what's my, I mean, oh. we've, we've studied several times, even with constellations, the question, what's mine to do? Because it's it's like for any human being, like seeing everything that's going on in the world. It's it's this is a big question, right? Uh, but I think what we're speaking now eases us more into the fact that what we need to do is very simple. Yet it's probably the most difficult tasks today in the world because our lives are built in other ways we're disconnected from each other we're disconnected from nature we're disconnected from always not deeper knowing um 
but still it is a relief but what we are striving towards is something much more simple to do it's something we already know how to do it's built in it's built in and on top of that it brings joy and fulfillment and it brings easiness it, it removes suffering so, so and we already know how to do it so i think this is if this is not motivation i don't know what it is we may have to do an episode on constellations just to fill people in on what that is exactly but i'd like to move on to my most pressing question which is being uh an awake person do you still have an unconscious yeah <clears throat> when you sent me that question i i really delighted in it and so whose unconscious is it so okay can you elaborate on that sure i mean you could say in a jungian fashion you could say the collective unconscious correct right right and there is psyche there isn't one's individual psyche there is only psyche there is psyche Right. Well, let's let's drill into this because what what um, fascinates and um, uh, uh, beguiles me is the things that I don't allow myself to see, and that is what I call my unconscious, right? Because there's things that I know. Okay, sure, of course, absolutely. From that relative point of view, from this body-mind organism, uh, there's only certain aspects of awareness that I have. And always looking is absolutely incredible in the sense of seeing all, being willing to see all, looking, right? That's what you're talking about is the well, willingness to see. I'm, I'm talking a little bit more about a pathology, actually. So like when, when uh, a person is angry at someone but they don't want to <laughs> acknowledge that and they start becoming passive aggressive that behavior is coming mm. from an unconscious part of them oh mm -hmm. so okay so that's from the point of view of the individual living the life correct okay correct. so i did want to just start with that little caveat of who's unconscious right 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 in the sense of yeah that's just important for me to say here okay also yeah. part of the reality that's good because so you're reorienting to a bigger truth exactly so and also and then from that we're taking a thread we're taking a wave of the ocean so then i can see that now where you're coming from yeah. so in this wave this appearance of form this appearance of form in this ocean of consciousness there is an individual person and in that individual life there is a personality and there is, as I say, an, as an awakened being or an awakened individual, the development of the human continues. The development of the human continues. Post-awakening, what I would call awakening of the total understanding of the falling away of the separate self and the experiencing of that, there have still been things that have arisen in the body-mind that I've needed to address psychologically. Mm -hmm. So depth psychology, Jungian work. I even trained as a therapist and then left that or I was left or it left me. Right. So there's nothing, nothing wrong with continuing to look at things that are in one's 
as you mentioned, individual unconscious through dreams, through slips of the tongue, through behavior neuroses, the, the, the body, mind, organism, the person is becoming conscious to parts of the self. There's nothing wrong with that work. And, no, and but it's, it's actually, still there. Uh, it's, you know, I, I, I actually, I wouldn't even know what to say with that question right now. Is it still there? Because I wouldn't even know what to look for. But as an example, I can tell you, here's a good example. Ramana Maharshi, the sage that I mentioned, he would say that this dissolving of the identification with the separate self is akin to a ceiling fan that's whipping around on the ceiling and then the power gets shut off. And this, the fan continues to go around. It still has some juice to it, right? So sometimes I call them remnants of ego, right. remnants that bubble up, like we can call them sankaras, samskaras. Mm -hmm. They're like soap bubbles of behavior or habits. The habits continue, even the preferences. Mm -hmm. Okay. References. Does that answer your question? So, I mean, in my limited state of awareness, I was wondering if when someone awakens, their unconscious completely dissolves and becomes conscious. Mm -mm. And no. Be, no. No. Okay. No. Yeah, that's kind of a naive notion. No. That's some sort of like some idea. And there are a lot of misconceptions around quote unquote awakened people that somehow the person is going to have magical powers or be a saint. Right. Yeah, but no, at thanks. the end, we, we're just, uh, you're still having a 2D, uh, you're living here is, a, is this reality, right? So, so a fully awakened person without if i understood correctly me without any unconscious would be somebody not alive right so so we, if we don't if we don't have this life anymore then maybe Thank we you. are fully part of the whole perfect until death until, until the absolute death. dissolving back into source mm -hmm. exactly and, and right. my understanding is we're here for for re i don't know if it's correct to say for a reason but part of being here is to be able to experience this uh, suffering, sensations, experience. I mean, all the things that are limitations, limitations. Yeah. yeah, all these things. I mean, we're here for them because mm -hmm. this helps us somehow. I don't yes. know if the right word is grow, but like. Um, Evolve. It's part of, you know, it's the, in, in Indian philosophy, it's the eternal play, it's the eternal dance of Shiva Shakti, which could be looked at as male, female, but really it's also formless and form. So the sort of the mythology or the esoteric state was that consciousness, unidentified consciousness, Shiva would be one way to put it, identified itself in order to have this play of which it's, we are constantly recycling through and playing hide and seek with ourselves so that we can fall in love again and have relief again. Like, 
like a mini orgasm or something like that, you know, like, oh, there's the relief. Oh, there's the limitation. Oh, there's the relief. Right, right. That's that whole description is a beautiful way of putting it. And it's one that I've found over and over again in different, um, different uh, ontologies and belief systems. And, um, and it's reminding me of the particle and the wave even. It's just so eternal. It, it it's reflected in all systems of inquiry. It's kind of this. It's the thing. It's that. It gave it me an image of because we were talking about the the drop in the ocean. Actually, some drops can get lost from the ocean, right? They can get lost, and then it goes through a lot of cycles and, until they get integrated. Oh, and, in the ocean yeah and that's so beautiful to understand like um how water never you know it it goes through all these different phases and it's always here and it's always coming back and especially now with the work of people like uh veda austin um I, we're understanding that water is there's an intelligence there that can't be disputed really um, and, and that's a fascinating idea that we're just starting to go, go toward that is also sort of disintegrating the concept of woo woo, which it tickles me. And, um, and I would love if we could, I know we don't have, I mean, we could riff for hours, but if we could just touch on the idea of death and what it is, um, and what it is not because just, just very fast version. I'm joking. Right, exactly. That actually <laughs> maybe maybe we can pause <laughs> and do part oh two. <laughs> yeah, let's do part I two. I love actually Nia, that is my favorite topic. Yes, mine of late. So too. I'm happy to do a completely different talk with you on at Beautiful. some point about death in fact one of yeah i mean death and i are great friends good and i love that we're mentioning it here now so that we can just pull up one put a yeah. fine point on that and, and move on yeah i have a think a most simple question and that is uh we didn't talk about a lot of your personal journey and the several times you were in india and I wanted to make a connection with that. So, so if somebody gets intrigued and wants to explore what we're talking about and let's say evolve, do they have to go to India? No, I did, so you don't have to. And that was my next question. How can you, how do you work with people? What can you, what, how do you help people on this journey or assist them? So one of the, probably the easiest ways for folks that are drawn to this teaching or curious would be to check out my book, Truth Seeker. Um, it's available on Amazon and it is uh, available in paperback and Kindle. So the reason I say that is that it does tell a little bit about my background in history, and it's also written, I hope, in a colorful way that's enjoyable. So it does give a little bit of fleshing out of the details of the seeking and also talks about the teachings that we've talked about today and the liberation from the suffering. So reading the book is is, is a good idea for folks who uh, like 
to read. And then also, um, I do hold satsang, which is basically sat in, in Sanskrit represents the word truth and sung means gathering, right? So satsang is a gathering of, of people committed to truth. And so I have that once a month. So people who are interested in that could reach out to me through my website, erinreese.com. And I also have my Substack, which is erinreese.substack.com, which is where I write articles uh, and sometimes poetry or, or prose around the teachings. But I'm also, and this kind of goes back to some of the questions that both of you have talked about today, I'm a very creative person. I'm not only sitting here abiding in the self and doing absolutely nothing. I love rock and roll. I love art. I write about astrology. I'm an intuitive. I, I'm a travel writer. You know, I live a very rich life and I write about all of that. And ideally, that would also be through the, the lens of this freedom and liberation. Once one is no longer suffering, there usually is more capacity for a richer self-expression. So my Substack isn't limited to the non-dual. It's very creative. So that's another way people can stay in touch with me and my writings. But in general, I would say the book and also there's an invitation to reach out to me directly if you are interested in coming to one of these online groups. And um, occasionally I do in-person and sometimes online retreats. Wonderful. Sounds really wonderful. And uh, what I really like, uh, again, on behalf of uh, everybody listening, is how you brought it to... So we spoke about all these things, but when you brought it to the richness and fun and beauty of your self-expression, you said, so I really mm -hmm. like how we brought it from the non-duality to the duality, like to, to this life here. And that this journey actually helps to live a richer life, more beautiful and more colorful and more enjoyable with less suffering, which I think is the real, real, I kept saying that, but this should be the guiding light telling us that I mean, of course we want more of that, right? So of course, of course <laughs> we want more of that. So so I think this is, a, I'm really grateful uh, for this conversation and uh, for bringing that extra color because I really, um, as we said, everything we we spoke about is very important but at the same time that's not all we're here for we are mm -hmm. here also for the fun and for the <laughs> art and music and learning and right. contributing and we if we do all that then we are building a more beautiful world which is what we all want to do right uh, or hope <laughs> i hope everybody <laughs> wants to and and by not doing this, what you were just explaining, we contribute by staying in the suffering. We also contribute more to the whole suffering. So mm -hmm. so I, I kind of want that, wanted to make that circle, which I think is a great motivation and the reason why we all need to explore and more. And I'm personally intrigued because I've read 
I have your books, but I have read, I didn't fully read them. So I think I, I got inspired to read one more, because, to, to read them in their entirety, because I feel, because you're explaining the journey, and I recommend to, to our listeners to, to do the same, because you're explaining the, the journey of seeking, I think it allows us to to relate to what we're experiencing and maybe find answers that other we may not find on our own or it may take longer. Exactly going through the journey rather than just talking about the point you are now in. I think a lot of us will relate to the to actually the journey. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I want to say just a tiny, tiny little like little drop of, of my quote unquote personal journey here, which is the biggest part of suffering for me that, that, that I know many listeners or watchers will relate to was with, was in regard to relationships. I was deeply suffering. That was the, the, the hardest part. And so coming out of suffering in relationships, especially rom male, female romantic relationships, that was my real dig right there okay in addition to the existential aspect of things so I can highly recommend <laughs> get coming out of that suffering um and I do want to just mention the other two books uh that that I wrote that are part of what I call the soul of India trilogy and they're kind of like I do everything in a very eclectic way they're written in a pretty interesting order so the first book is called the adventures of Bindi girl diving deep into the heart of India. I'll just hold it up here. And so that one I would say is, is very colorful spiritual travel memoir about the first time I left for India. And I'm not going to get into my, my story here, but I just want to say that it, it sets the stage and it is written. One of the ways I describe my work is I am respectfully irreverent. So it is, it is a romp <laughs> as, as Mia said. And then after being back in the United States or being dragged by my hair back to the United States after many years of being in India, one of my, you can almost say bucket list items for my own purposefulness, things that I knew I needed to leave on the planet was the book about the awakening. So that's the truth seeker book. And that's my favorite of all of the books because it is the most important aspect of what happened for me through my surrender into India. And then the last book that I wrote is just came out this year, actually, uh, Bindi Girl 2. Um, this is called Surrendering to the Soul of India. And that one, again, see how it's kind of funny. There's three books, but they start with one, there's the interim, and then there's the sequel. We like to do things differently. So that one is the collection of the short stories and also off the beaten travel, India escapades and um, sort of travel tips for being a woman or a renunciate, someone who's living off of almost not uh, living off of hardly anything in India. And I, I don't want to speak about my own books, but I would hope that they are um, funny and enlivening and inspirational, not just for people that are drawn to go to India or to the East or a foreign country for their seeking. But anyone who knows that they 
probably are going to do a cliff diving, meaning diving off of the cliff into the unknown in order to find relief because there is nothing left to do in the current construct. So that can be in, you know, the comfort, quote unquote, of one's own home or living situation and work situation, the daily life. That can also be a surrender. Um, or it can be, yeah, for someone who is is drawn to um the inner journey, no matter what. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that it has to be through India or even through uh, more Eastern philosophy, if you want to call this a, a philosophy. So I just wanted to share a little bit about the order of the books. I'd like to add to that also in that re having read one of the books is that um, I'm struck by the, 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 you know, the way in which you talk about things, your experiences are utterly human and you, you know, you're not occupying this space of a uh, great sageness or, uh, you know, rarefied, what have you. You're, you're an American having these experiences. You're a woman having these experiences. You're very, very accessible the whole way. And especially in uh, your description of awakening, which was so subtle and unexpected and um, um, not what you would think. And I love that. I love that. Hmm. Beautiful. Thank you. So thank you, Erin, for joining us for the New Awits podcast. It was a true pleasure. And uh, the conversation was, uh, is I think usually we, we do it in the New Awits. It took us to places that I don't think we were planning to go. But uh, we let the ocean lead us. And I... Uh, <laughs> I'm grateful that we did. And I look forward to the next conversation. Thank you so much. As well. Yes. Thank you, Erin. Thank you, Thank everyone. Thank you both oh, yeah. so much. Hope to see you again. Vanilla Weeds Podcast, The Art of Living Together. Keep listening to us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. Get in touch with us if you have topics that interest you or ideas about guests we should invite, and share with your network if something touches you. 